0: This is Fake Plastic Podcast, a podcast that unlocks the alchemy of Radiohead, one song, music video, or live performance at a time. My name is Savannah Wright. To discuss the evolution of Radiohead, we must contend with their first hit single, Creep. It was the song that catapulted them to stardom, and to this day remains their most streamed and most recognizable song. Although scorned by numerous Radiohead fans, and even by the band itself, Creep is inescapable.
1: It's just- back the first time that you heard it.
0: This is Andy Green, senior writer at Rolling Stone.
1: And it's the one song of theirs that my sister even knows. I mean, it's a song who is not a fan of the band at all. It, it has penetrated the culture in a way that nothing that they've done since has, which is a, a, a true accomplishment. If you write a song that big, the whole world knows and I can sing along to, then you've done something special.
0: Andy became a fan of Radiohead after seeing them at the Tibetan Freedom Concert in 1998.
1: And I didn't really know them all that well, and then they started playing, and they just blew my mind. And then I went out and I bought the album, I bought you know OK Computer, and then that was it. It was just off the races. I became a super fan.
0: In this episode, we'll focus specifically on the reception of Creep on MTV, at their MTV Beach House performance in 1993, and on an episode of Beavis and ButtHead. But before that. A little history behind Creep.
1: Um, It was this weird sort of post grunge era where record labels were throwing money at any band that sounded remotely alternative because Nirvana and Pearl Jam were selling records by the tens of millions. And so there's this whole flood of like second generation, you know, like grunge bands that weren't grungy in the least, but that had this sort of patina of grunge to them and their sound. And Creep just got sort of lumped in. With that, and it sort of took on a whole life of its own, and it became much bigger than they were even comfortable with.
0: At first, the reception to Creep was mixed. Some journalists even asked Tom York if it was a joke. Andy explains why this might have been.
1: Well, because there were so many sort of jokey songs in that time period that were like that. I think a Beck's Loser was just it was just a tad bit later. There was, there, was ST, there was STP's creep, like, that same month, even. And there were all these sort of tongue-in-cheek songs then that were flying out. Uh, and it just, it just sort of got lumped in there.
0: But despite its off-putting lyrics, the song rose in popularity, getting spins in Israel, then Spain, New Zealand, and a few Scandinavian countries, and ultimately, the American West Coast. The song hit the U.S. with full force when MTV added it to their buzz bin, which featured a select group of music videos from upcoming artists. Think of it like the featured playlists on Spotify or Apple Music that predict the next big thing. In a pre-internet world, the Buzzbin was the go-to source for suburban listeners on the hunt for new music. And that's how Andy discovered the song.
1: Because the radio stations, they just play the biggest hits. And lots of radio was just classic rock. And so there were very few ways for a, a kid like me in Cleveland to even hear a new band if I wasn't really trying, uh, whereas MTV, they had this thing that they called the Buzz Bin, you know, so that's the first place I heard Weezer or Green Day or so many groups. I remember that there'd be commercials for it, and I remember being just 12 years old and there'd be just this little just this little snippet of the creep video. It's the hook, and that's, the, you know, I think for a lot of people all over the country, it was like, it was, that was the introduction. And, and at the time, like, you couldn't tell if it was like a silver chair or a cracker or just some group out of one song or a group that would have real legs. But that was, that was the first exposure to the whole country it was just that little, that lap like four seconds of the song and the buzz clip commercials.
0: With the popularity of Creep propelling Radiohead into the mainstream, MTV invited the band to perform on MTV Beach House, a one-hour music show featuring videos and live performances. Andy sets the stage
1: this was in 93 was sort of the peak of the alternative rock movement in a lot of ways it went in just a few years it went from underground to the mainstream and all the old terminal bands from the 80s they were dead and MTV they stopped playing all Poison all Motley Crue all that stuff was dead and any band that was remotely alternative you know like Seeming and having even a minor hit that became part of of their universe and At the beach house, they you know they had a, they, they had lots of time to kill, so they'd bring bands on that even had sort of so-so hits on on the charts. And Radiohead, you know, it was their first U.S. tour, and they said yes to everything. So that the chance to go on to MTV and sing to the whole country, they 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 gladly took it. So thus they wind up you know on the same stage as like Mighty by Nature and stuff, you know, bands that were very different than they were. And it's funny, you know, when you look back now, you know, it's the group that says no to most everything, like down to their own Hall of Fame induction, which they're not going to, but back then, it was just yes, 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 yes. So they were willing to go sing a censored version of their song at the beach house to a bunch of, like, front like, like college kids.
0: Radiohead is performing for a crowd of college-age kids in vaguely grunge beach outfits. They smile and nod to the beat, but they seem slightly uncomfortable listening to such a depressing song, especially on a sunny 4th of July day. The band members, Andy notes, look equally uncomfortable.
1: They just come to America, and they were playing super small places, uh, and, you know, there's these pale guys from Oxford. They're, they're real intellectuals, and they get on stage, and, you know, this blinding daylight, uh, they're all wearing sunglasses, you look at Tom York, he has, like, long, blonde, like, he has, like, bleach blonde hair. He looks, he looks like Tom Cruise from the interview, from the, from, like, the from the Vampire movies. You know, just, like, his skin is so pale, it's, like, translucent, uh, and he's singing a song that he seems already sick of, and the whole band are all wearing sunglasses, kind of weird, bright colors, and they're pants with this ocean of drunken college kids in, like, bikinis, uh, just sort of nodding their heads a they to creep. And you could just almost see Tom, sort of like, this is just so debasing that this is what it takes. But he was willing to do it. They play Creep, they play anyone can play guitar, which is one of their lesser early songs. And then he dove into the pool, but he was holding the mic still, so he almost got electrocuted. I mean, he, he could have died right there, would have been you know, one of the craziest rock star deaths ever. But... In, in in comparison to everything they, they did after that, when they got famous and they got control and every bit of their image, they could curate and hire video directors and have everything be so precise. Just to see them as just just some other like second rate like fake grunge band at the beach house is just hysterical in hindsight now.
0: I loved seeing what they were wearing, like how Ed was wearing this loose white kind of pirate shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, right. That it, 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 It's like they're playing dress-up. It's like they're pretending to be some other band. They don't look like Oxford kids with high IQs. They look like morons. You know, it's so different than everything that you saw afterwards.
0: But beyond the humor of seeing Ed in his pirate shirt and Tom stage-diving into the pool, this performance marked something bigger.
1: Thank you. To me, it's one of the last moments where you see them sort of at the mercy of their label and the mercy of MTV and forces they can't control, and it shows the dangers of what happens when they, if somebody else is calling the shots. And I think I, I think that they that they learn from it. I think lesson is that we need our own art directors, we need video directors that we carefully pick. We can't look like a bunch of clowns, you know. It will. It will hurt the music. It will hurt everything if we're seen as just some latent MTV band. If we look no different than Bush or Cracker or the Lemonheads, we can't rise above like
0: this. Radiohead got flack from the music press and other musicians for censoring Creep in this and other performances. Oasis guitarist Noel Gallagher said that Radiohead was willing to perform the clean edit of the song, quote, because it made them more money. But Andy says this wasn't the first time the band got accused of selling out.
1: I remember I interviewed the entire band about a year and a half ago and they were all saying that even when they signed with EMI, uh, that, that they got a ton of shit, that all the indie bands that day came up with said, you know, that's selling out. Uh, and then to go have some sort of sort of fake grungy song or a scrunch song, as it's that's often called, you know, it was just seen as if, you, if people's first exposure... To you, as a song being relentlessly hyped by by the label and just all over the radio, it's just it's you seem suspect. It seems that, Dad, you didn't pay your dues. That you're supposed to build up a groundswell slowly by gigging and gigging and gigging and putting EPs out and you thumb out of the trunk of your car and you slowly build up. If your first single is all over the radio, it's like these guys are fake. That you know that this is just record company bullshit.
0: Yet Creep's appearance on MTV did not end there. The song was also featured on the network's hit sitcom Beavis and
1: ButtHead. This Fox change it. Beavis and ButtHead is one of the great satires of the 90s, and and the audience they had no idea that they were being mocked. It was young kids who watching MTV, staring at, at at two other kids who were who were watching who were watching the TV back. We're watching videos and just being confused by them. And it was Mike Judge who went on to do so much great stuff just sort of commenting on how MTV melts your brain, how the audience of this network is a bunch of idiots that are getting dumber by the second as they watch these videos all day long. Uh, what is this? Don't worry about it, it gets cool in a minute, <laughs> So like the show that MTV—it was very subversive. It was the network basically just viciously mocking its own audience, and they would watch videos by Pink Floyd or the Rolling Stones or weird metal bands. It was—it was, it was just—it was just all over the place, and just and just do commentary of just their confusion and their frustration with what they were seeing. So in '94, they watch Creep, and. I've seen it about 20 times probably, and each time I laugh as hard, because <laughs> they want the song to rock, because their ideal band is Pantera, so when, when, when the chunky riff comes, the nah, nah, you know, they're so thrilled, but for the rest of it, they're bored, and, and they're irritated. It better start rocking, or I'll really give them something to cry about. Shut up, buddy, it gets cool, check it out, check it out, here it comes. Sort of, it's like the one bit of the song that was like Johnny, just sort of mocking like like guitar bands or something, is the one bit that they respond to. He was sort of mocking a sound which would which would excite Beavis, and watch it work perfectly. And then for them to be bummed out by the rest of the song is just eternally funny. What? What's going on? (laughs) Hmm. How come they don't just, like, play that cool part through the whole song? <laughs> well, Beavis, if they didn't have, like, a part of the song that sucked, then it's like, the other part wouldn't be as cool. <laughs> <laughs> really, you're <pretty> smart,
0: <laughs> So how do you think their response to Creep was representative of the popular response to the song?
1: Yeah, I think the popular response to the song is, I sort of like the song, I like that one bit of it, but the rest of it is sort of boring. <laughs> You know, they. Had, well, I, I think a lot of people they were like they were like Butthead. they were like they were like, why well, can't the whole song be like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that part where he goes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think that there's moments where Butthead, who is smarter than Beavis would occasionally like stumble on some wisdom by accident, and I think he's right there that. Part of what makes Creep great is you get it, it's, it's, it's just the occasional jolt that it gives you, and then the rest of it just goes back to being mellow. That if it wasn't for that, if Johnny didn't think of that one little, you know, I think the band, they wouldn't have made it. It was that, was what got the attention of the country, was that one moment that had the same reaction that beats it, like, yeah, yeah, cool.
0: It's rumored that Johnny inserted that signature guitar thrash to mock Creep, and that the effect made it into the song by accident.
1: I, I've seen him tell various stories about that. When I interviewed him, I was sort of bummed out. I didn't ask, but I think that he, from, from the story I've heard a few times, is that he edited in as a, as a joke almost that they didn't like the song. And, you know, so he just sort of put that in there, and, and it stayed.
0: After the wild popularity of Creep, Radiohead seemed eager to shed their unwanted reputation as a scrunch band. Andy says the transition was slow, starting with their sophomore album The Bends* and culminating in OK Computer.
1: I think The Bends* shows a huge evolution in songwriting. Um, then on Pablo Honey, there's maybe like three like songs that have really lasted. I, I, I think I like Lurgy, I like Blowout, I like Creep, obviously, but most of it is second tier. And the, the Benz, I love every single song, but there's no hit. And I think Alicia Silverstone in Cluelish, she spoke for a bunch of the country. And, she, and she's like, "Wow, wow, 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 wow!" This is for crybabies.
0: Yuck! Uh, the maudlin music of the university station. Wow, wow, wow! What is it about college and crybaby music? Hey. He's watching the Galleria. So the final shirt deal, is that a nod to the crispy Seattle weather, or are you just trying to stay warm in front of the refrigerator?
1: Yeah. As by 95, the alternative scene was dead. I mean, it was completely gone. It was Hootie and a blowfish. It was Sheryl Crow. And it was happy music. It was a very different time. And there was little audience for in the States for a, a, a band like that. And I think that fake plastic trees, to most people in in like America, that was like a oh, boring. I don't want to hear this. I, I don't want to hear this guy whine. You know, it was it was big in Europe, but they were opening up for Alanis Morissette and for David Gray. I mean, they were uh, not really making it. Um, and on like, like my iron lung, he's singing about creep, how the very thing that was keeping them alive, it was also like entombing them in an iron lung you know, which is Creep. Just, you know, they did so many concerts. They were on tour for like five straight years and many small places. It was, it was people who who would show up to just hear Creep in the States. So they play one song, they watch the place go nuts and then just get nothing and they would watch fans, they would walk out. You know, it was very frustrating to be a band as brilliant and talented as Radiohead and, and feel like Nico Suave or something, feel like this one-hit wonder.
0: So do you feel like because the Benz was was great, and it was showing that they had more breadth, but it didn't produce another hit. Do you think it was OK Computer that really marked, like, okay, this band is not just a one hit wonder?
1: There's no question. What the Benz did was it gave them it gave them a much bigger audience in Europe. It, it gave them the respect of their label, and crucially, they met Nigel Godrich.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. uh,
1: who became who became basically like the sixth member of the band in some ways, and it gave them the freedom to go out then and make an album that they really wanted to make, where they had absolute freedom, where they where they, they weren't where they weren't stuck using a producer that they didn't really jive with, and it allowed them. You know, it's it's a, it's the classic story of the third record. It's the make it or break it record. The the first one, I gets you attention. The second one is sort of rushed, and is a disappointment. He, yeah. Even the bands are fantastic. And the third one is when you make it. It's, it's the story of Bruce Springsteen. It's the story of Tom Petty. You too. There's so many bands where it's the third one that hmm. sort of breaks you through. And, and so it was just also Tom's songwriting. I mean, it was, it, he, was, he was getting better just like exponentially. And by OK Computer, you know, he was in a whole other realm.
0: Since their first hit, Radiohead's music has progressed significantly in both lyrical and musical complexity. But Andy contends that Creep remains an essential part of their legacy.
1: I've I've watched them go back and forth on it. I think in the early aughts, they were really sick of it, and they didn't play it for a very long time. And when I interviewed the band, I sort of asked all of them about it, and even Tom said that it was very helpful, that it was sort of their calling card. It it opened up all these doors, and... They made their money back. there's so many bands after the first album tour. they owe money to the label, and it's a major problem. They have to pay for studio time and all this stuff, but they were profitable from day one, which, uh, which again, it sort of it sort of made the label it, it they perked up and they realized that, it was a band that was that was worth giving more resources to, which they used in a huge way. You know I saw them I saw them a bunch of times on the last tour, but it, I was in Peru, it was like last April, and it was the first time ever playing Peru, so they played Creep. And then there was a stadium full of, of hardcore fans. When they played Creep, I feel that the energy in the stadium, it just sort of doubled. It's a song everybody knows. And when they play it live, when they mix it in with, with other songs, it, it still sounds great. It's a truly, it's a great song. And they shouldn't be ashamed of it, you know. I think that I, I understand why they're sick of it. There's something about it that still works.
0: Perhaps after 23 years, Radiohead was finally ready to recognize Creep's role in their career. On their 2016 tour in support of a moon-shaped pool, the band played Creep for the first time in decades. And not just once, but at multiple shows. Andy speculates why this is.
1: I think on the 2012 like King of Limbs tour where they didn't play a lot of old songs, I think Tom was bummed out on that tour. He was going through a a lot of hard stuff in his life, with his with his wife being sick, uh, with their drum tech dying. This the, the stage class. It was a very difficult time, and they did too many stray concerts. And they were just sort of just bummed out and done, just playing new songs. I, I think after a four year break, when they went back on tour in '16, they were willing to sort of present their whole catalog in concert. In a very different way, and "Creep" is so old now. It's almost—I've heard Tom say that when he plays it, it it's almost the feeling of, of of a cover song. He even forgets that he wrote it. And he said to me, "I mean, I asked him about it. He, he says sometimes it's fun, and there's sometimes I'm playing it, and halfway through I just want to stop." You know. So I think I think after all this time, they can step back and, and they can look at it as sort of almost part of history, and they're no longer, you know. They're so successful that they're no longer, like, trapped by it. They broke out of their iron lung, you know, a long time ago. So I think they can look at it now with sort of the distance of history.
0: When Kennedy, the MTV Beach House host, interviews the members of Radiohead, you can tell she has no idea what this band will become.
1: Oh, I love their musical
0: tapes. Yes, indeed. Well, here we are at the Beach House, and coming up, we've got a very special performance from Radiohead. Now, this is Ed. Now, Ed... You guys have had quite a little bit of success with the whole Creep song. And um, you guys have been on tour, I understand. Now, are the audiences receptive to
1: more than just that song? It's been,
0: yeah, I mean... Creepy. She's silly and jokey with them. She barely knows their work. And she doesn't seem particularly interested in their trajectory. And why should she? At this point, Radiohead is just another scrunch band with a hit. A Nirvana soundalike that'll disappear with all the rest.
1: It's hard for fans of Radiohead who weren't around in nineteen ninety three or reality's yeah, at paying attention to uh popular music to realize just how many songs that were that were very similar to that were just being being pummeled at, at you by m t v by the radio by the labels. There was this feeding frenzy to find the next Nirvana to find the next pearl jam to find like the next goose that would lay the golden egg of a band that could sell like that many records. So most of these songs by you know, whether it was like Glycerine or something or Good by or they seem like light bubblegum songs of bands that would go nowhere. And most of those bands they go nowhere. So it's just very bizarre that that one of those bands who seemed to be on like the B list of, of those bands, I mean Bush were much bigger. That's the band of the 2000s. That's the band that will go on to make the best music of the next 30 years. It was just, at the time, if you told me that, in 93, I would have said that's ridiculous.
0: But despite their unlikely beginning, Radiohead did manage to break from their iron lung to subvert listeners' expectations and create music that astounded critics and fans around the world. And in this podcast, we'll find out how. You've been listening to Fake Plastic Podcast. Fake Plastic Podcast is an alternate Thursdays production, with new episodes every other Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you really liked this episode, please leave a rating and share your thoughts with us on Instagram or Twitter at Fake Plastic Pod. I'm Savannah Wright. Thanks for listening.